Our scripture lesson this morning is from the book of Hebrews, the second chapter beginning with the 14th verse. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, though through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful, merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would have your hand upon us during this time. Uh, we pray for the family of the Fabers, uh, for Peter and the boys as they go through this grieving process. Uh, Lord, I pray for the family as well as they plan their services. And Lord God, that you would be with us as we look at this issue of suffering this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Shingles, cluster headaches, a slipped disc, back labor, arthritis, kidney stones, sciatica. All of these conditions have one thing in common. They are all on the top ten list of most painful conditions a human being can be forced to endure. Some people can go through their whole lives without so much as a headache, while others face excruciating diseases. And in the midst of the pain, many will ask the question, why me? But having a disease yourself is one thing, but watching your child or loved one go through it may push you to the very edge of your faith. If God is so loving, why did he allow things like viruses, genetic mutations, and my biggest enemy, poison oak? Well, this morning I hope that we can shed some light on this difficult question by looking at four sides of this question of suffering. And so, first of all, we see that the question of suffering is a question of will. As we talked about a few weeks ago, God is sovereign, and that means that he can do whatever he wants to do. And those things that he desires to accomplish are going to come to pass. In Isaiah 14, 24, God declares, Surely as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will happen. And so we realize that Pain and suffering uh, in the world here are not because of some cosmic oops. In fact, God obviously designed our bodies to be susceptible and vulnerable to the world around us. When we are cut, we bleed. When we fall, we break bones. When we are shot, we die. And it's at this point that some cry out, Aha, you see, it's God's fault that we have this pain and suffering in the world. And I guess in a roundabout way, they would be right. But we must understand something very important about the will of God. There's a big difference between the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God. To help us understand this concept, let's look at the issue of eternal salvation. Listen for a moment to God's perfect will in 2 Peter 3.9 regarding eternal salvation. The Lord does not delay the promise as some esteem slowness but is patient, patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. 
And so we see here that God's perfect will, his greatest intention, is that all would come to repentance, that none would perish. And so he desires that all would be saved. In Ezekiel 18.23, we see clarification on this, where he says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Now, as we look around us at the world, we see that the majority of mankind has rejected God and have not repented according to God's desire and his will. Now, does this mean that he's not powerful enough to accomplish the thing that he wills? We don't need to come to that conclusion if we look at what is called God's permissive will. God permits certain things to take place in order that a greater purpose might be accomplished. In the case of humankind, the greater purpose that he desired was to have a created being that had a free will. But in order for us to have free will, he also had to give us a choice. A choice whether to obey God or not to obey him. For instance, if I say to my child, um, these cookies are off limits until after dinner. I'm going to go run an errand, so leave them on the counter. But what if I took those cookies and I locked them in a safe, to which my child didn't have the combination? Would they actually have a free will in that circumstance? The only time that they have a free will is if they have a free choice, meaning that I leave the cookies sitting on the counter for them to struggle with, struggle with the temptation of whether to take them or to obey me and leave them until after dinner. And this is why the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was necessary in the Garden of Eden, as we talked about about a month ago here. If Adam and Eve did not have an actual option to disobey God, there would have been no free will. And so then the next question would be, what's so great about having a being that's willing to obey that God decided to place in a, us in a world where a man can rape a 10-year-old little girl? Or where a woman can cho choose to buy meth instead of groceries for her starving family? Or where uh, one nation can drop a nuclear bomb on another nation, causing great suffering among the innocent? The thing that's so great and glorious is that you end up with children instead of instinctual beasts. You end up with created beings in the image of God. Now, the one question that I cannot answer is why God did it this way. But if I believe the Bible, which states that he's love and that there's no darkness in him, then I must believe that he has a greater purpose, a marvelous plan that's hard for me to understand, especially when we see the ones that we love who are going through turmoil, pain, and suffering. Next, we see that the question of suffering is a question of good. I can't count how many times I've been talking to somebody about God, and inevitably they'll say something like, how can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Now, when they use that term, good, good people, what they're talking about are folks who are hardworking, not criminals, and generally nice. But the big problem is that in God's eyes, there is no one that is good. Paul cites David in Romans 3, 10 through 18, where he describes the condition of the human heart. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. 
Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Doesn't seem quite like the traits of good people, does it? Outside of Christ, we are all under the wrath of God. Now, whether this seems fair or not, I cannot address, but it is what it is. And so this is the reality that we live in. This is the reality that we must face. Or we can choose to take our chances. Let me help you look at it in a different light. Now, I don't want you to raise your hands where you're at or whatever, but in regards to traffic laws alone, how many of you would consider yourself a good driver? Now, what if there was some way that the DMV could go back and place a police officer at every single traffic infraction that you've committed? There's going to be a police officer there every time you don't come to a complete stop. A police officer there every time you nudge over the speed limit. How many of you would consider yourself a good driver then? The fact is that we, if we're, if we're not for the mercy of time and circumstances, most of us would be in prison for just our traffic violations alone. At the very least, you would owe a huge amount of money for the fines that you would have incurred. And so in that way, you would suffer for your sins. But what if you were held responsible for all the traffic violations ever committed by your relatives and family members as far back as you could trace? Well, you'd start your life off in the hole, and it would be so far in the hole that you probably would never get out of it. As human beings, we start in the hole. We are born with sin in our hearts. We have three strikes against us already. And so it's very problematic to use the whole why do good thing, bad things happen to good people line of reasoning because in some sense a better question is why do good things happen to bad people? A good portion of the suffering that's experienced in the world is because of the fact that people interact with one another in a way that's keeping with their sin nature. Just think of the suffering that would be alleviated if we got rid of divorce, child abuse, war and crime, just to name a few. But why doesn't God stop evil things from happening to the innocent? Why doesn't he send an angel, angel to nudge that drunken driver off the road instead of him piling into a bus full of preschoolers? And that brings us to our third point. We see that the question of suffering is a question of perspective. Anything that is not of God is evil. Church Father Augustine stated that evil is not a thing or a substance, it is a privation or lack in things, as in blindness is a lack of sight, pain is a lack of health, hate or murder is a lack of love. Robert Villard, a focus on the family, asked the question, is a hole in your jacket a something or is it a lack of something? In this present life, there is, so to speak, a lack of God, and therefore we are faced with evil in the form of suffering. But this will not always be the case. Jesus revealed to John the Apostle that in the not-too-distant future, the new earth would have no more suffering on it. We find this in my favorite verse in the Bible, Revelation 21, verse 4. 
He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I can't help but think of Sheila this morning and what she had to endure over the last few months of her life. A cancerous tumor was causing her a great amount of pain and suffering. But the Lord who determines the number of our days decided that her number was up. And that if that were the end of the story, how sad it would be. But the Apostle Paul encouraged the church in Thessalonica with these words, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And from the perspective of faith and hope, we look forward to the redemption of these frail and mortal bodies. Death is an evil that will be swallowed up by the very life of God, his presence. Now, no study on suffering would be complete without looking at Jesus, the one who willingly suffered for our sake. And so finally, the question of suffering is a question of association. Hebrews 2, 9-10 through 10 says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Salvation was made perfect or finished through suffering. If evil is the lack of God, then the most excruciating evil moment in the history of mankind was the moment on the cross when God turned away from his Son. It was in that instant that Jesus was able to say, It is finished. When Adam and Eve fell, into the garden, fell in the Garden of Eden, evil was introduced into the world and along with its suffering. Suffering in childbearing. Suffering in work. In God's absence, man fell under a curse. But through the suffering of Christ, we now have a way back to God. And as his followers, all of that suffering that we endure will not be in vain. We grow in endurance and in our character as it's tested. God uses suffering to help us in the sanctification process as well. And so when we are feeling like we cannot go on and face another day in our current circumstances, we look to Jesus who suffered in the flesh for our sake. In conclusion here this morning, we are the source or the cause of the suffering of Jesus. We don't like to think of that very often, do we? We don't like to own up to the fact that much, much of the sufferings in our life lives are because of us. But that is the price that we must pay for free will. When we think of our own children, we know that we would much ha rather have somebody who has a free will to choose rather than someone who is obeying and cowering subjection. But in order for that to happen, we must be vulnerable to pain and rejection. God opened his heart to become vulnerable. We are able to grieve his heart. We are able to bring him gladness. And in the meantime, as we suffer, God's compassionate heart suffers with us. In fact, as Romans 8.22 shows, it says that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
But notice that's not the final chapter because we see a shift in the next verse and a half here. Not only the creation is groaning, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Hope. That is what we have. Hope that our suffering will come to an end on that glad morning when we all meet at the eastern gate of the new Jerusalem. And I have a feeling that Sheila will be one of the first ones to arrive for that meeting. In fact, I think she'll probably be in charge of setting it up. And Father God, we come before you this morning. And Lord, as we look at the sufferings around us, help us to understand uh, more greatly what it is that you did for us. Help us to connect our suffering to your suffering on the cross and to walk out these times of sanctification and understanding uh, what you did for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.